Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner, and I do some writing and some speaking, and I do a 30-minute weekly show that helps you understand your money better that will help you prosper. So I want to start today by talking about a fairly ugly Bulls and Bears market report. The market close as of Friday, March 23rd, 2018, had the Dow Jones Industrial Average down over 5%. The NASDAQ was down over 6%. The S&P 500 was down almost 6%, while gold was up 2.3%, and oil was up 6.8%. Now, this really ugly week happened for a number of reasons, one of them being a fear of a trade war with China, most likely, where the Chinese would impose tariffs on our goods that are exported as we impose tariffs on the goods that we import from them. And if you've listened to previous shows, we've talked a little bit about tariffs and how they work, but it really spooked the market. But the market was already in a bad mood because of what had happened with Facebook. Probably the biggest story of the week was the decline in Facebook stock, which was down over 13.83% on news that information wasn't handled with the privacy levels that people were expecting it to be handled. And so I want to give you a few takeaways in this section because I hate to just give market data. I like to try to make it apply more to you so that you can get something useful from it. I would like to suggest that you never put anything on Facebook that you wouldn't put on the front page of the paper. Remember that the way they're gathering this information are through those cute little quizzes, like which 1940s actor are you most like, or what's your favorite kind of cat, or what does your astrology symbol say about you, and then you answer five or ten questions, and they put together a profile, and they give you some bogus answer. What they were really doing in that was gathering your information in those questions, Usually in the fine print, you also give them access to your friends and your groups so that if you hack into one person's account and they have 200 friends, you suddenly can get the data on those 200 people as well. Now, I'm not telling you not to take the quiz, but I am saying that be very suspect. A lot of the things that you see that look like they're fun are actually being created to make you think that they're fun while they're getting some more information from you, and I want you to at least be aware of what you're doing. Now, gold and oil went up last week because of a possibility of the Iran deal blowing up and causing some sort of an issue with the Middle East. Gold is the safe harbor. Gold also went up because of the trade war fears. But oil went up because of concerns with the Middle East. And anytime there's concerns with the Middle East, oil goes up. And it certainly went up a lot at 6.8%. I think that there's other factors at work, but that's probably enough to help you understand what was going on this last week. 
In economic news, the Federal Reserve raised the interest rate from 1.5% to 1.75%. So it was a quarter point increase. It was expected. It had been widely telegraphed that this was going to happen. So it didn't really shock the markets. It didn't surprise the markets very much. There might have been a little bit of market action on it, but really it was so expected it just happened and kind of got lost in the rest of the noise that happened last week. Remember that raising the interest rates is bad if you're a borrower, but it's good if you're a lender. If you're a borrower, this Federal Reserve rate will eventually trickle down to other rates like car loans and um, mortgages, all of those things when you're the borrower. But if you're the lender, if you own bonds, this does cause the bond yield to go up eventually. So remember that when bond yields go up, the value of a bond per se will drop. Now, if you hold the bond till maturity, it matures back at its original par value. So the only time you have that drop in the bond value is if you trade it or if you own a bond mutual fund that trades out the bonds, you may see the mutual fund decline some as well. Now, this is not investment advice, but I really believe that most of this has already been baked into the expectations, and as a result, I don't think we got a lot of market action out of it. The other reason that the Fed raised rates, other than they really needed to, rates are very low, and raising or lowering rates, rather, is a tool that the Fed has if we have any kind of an economic shock. Well, if rates are at zero, you can't lower them. So having it at 1.75 really gives the Fed a little bit more room to work. But the other reason they raised rates is that the GDP, the gross domestic product, which we'll define on a different show, has gone up. Basically, it's goods and services, and it means that our economy is strong and healthy. So they raised the growth from 2.5% in December to 2.7%, and they raised the 2019 expectations, which is what they think is going to happen next year, from 2.1 to 2.4. Now, you may have heard some GDP numbers that are quite a bit higher than this as expectations, 3%, 4%. I think I've even heard 5% GDP. The data isn't really bearing that out very well, in my opinion. So if you're expecting a really high, crazy strong GDP, I'm not sure how it happens. We'll have to watch. Possibly the tax cuts will lead to more economic stimulus. But nevertheless, right now, the highest rate that's expected in the future isn't as high as 3%. It's not terribly important. I just think it's important to know it. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. In this legislative update, I have some really bad news. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals recently completely overturned the Department of Labor's fiduciary standard. So what happened was a joint lawsuit that was created by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Financial Services Institute and SIFMA, the American Council of Life Insurance, the National Association of Insurance and Financial Advisors, and the Index Annuity Leadership Council. 
So a lot of the organizations that sell commissioned products along with the U.S. Department of Commerce, they had five suits going against the DOL fiduciary standard that they rolled together into one giant lawsuit where they were arguing that it was absolutely unfair to force financial advisors to have to act in the client's best interest. The major argument that they're using is that these people aren't giving financial advice. And right at that sentence where I said a financial advisor is not giving financial advice is the problem that is going on right now. Because it's fine to sell a product and take a commission, and so you take an order, you buy what the client wants you to buy, and there really is no fiduciary standard there. But the problem is almost immediately all people in financial services call themselves advisors. Very few people just call themselves brokers these days. And the argument was that there could be no expectation on the part of the client that this was anything other than a transaction, that if these um, financial advisors had to act in clients' best interest, the general population would lose their access to financial services. You know, we've, we've heard all of these arguments before. And when they first took the lawsuit to court, they lost, but then it went to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, where in a vote of two to three, the two judges sided with the lawsuit and said, yes, it's absolutely unrealistic for someone who is giving their rollover IRA to think that they have a relationship with the person who's taking it. And that's almost a direct quote of what was said, but you should go back and always read the original legislation when I talk about things, because it's important for you to see the details, and I don't have time to discuss all of it. So always do your own due diligence. The problem with that then becomes they vacated the entire rule. So they didn't just say this piece doesn't work or that doesn't work. They struck down the entire fiduciary rule about a week after the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld it. So what you have is a Court of Appeals in one part of the United States saying this rule is no good and another part of the United States saying the rule is fine. Well, typically what would happen at that time is it would go to the Supreme Court because now we have two different standards in two different jurisdictions. So obviously we need a higher court to, decision, to decide which is really the correct decision to make. The problem is this current Department of Labor isn't a fan of the rule in the first place. Remember that the fiduciary standard took place back in the Obama administration under Tom Perez and that DOL. Well, the new DOL doesn't really care for the idea at all, and so there is not a great sense that they will take it to the Supreme Court. And instead, what the Department of Labor said is they plan on vacating the rule and not pursuing it and not requiring financial advisors to act as fiduciaries when they're handling someone's retirement money. Remember, that was the only piece of this that the law required. It was extending that fiduciary protection that you still have in your qualified retirement plan to it rolls out into an IRA and that fiduciary level of care was lost. This rule was extending that into the IRA that had come out of the qualified plan and 
had had the previous fiduciary standard. It would have also applied to any new retirement money with the argument that there shouldn't be two standards for retirement money, whether it's in a qualified plan or an IRA. There's 14 days that there could be some kind of extension of not vacating the rule. It doesn't look very likely. So it really does look right now that the Department of Labor fiduciary rule is probably dead. But all hope is not lost because the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has been talking about applying a fiduciary standard to brokers and financial advisors in a new rule that they are um, considering putting together. And the head of the SEC, which is, let me find his name, his name is Clayton. And um, Mr. Clayton has said that, um, Jay Clayton, Jay Clayton has said that he plans on pursuing this fiduciary standard as as, as part of the SEC, even though the court struck down the Department of Labor rule. Now, the SEC might even be a better home for this legislation because it's absolutely impacting all financial advisors, all brokers. If there is investments within an insurance product, it would impact the agent to the extent that the agent is selling something like a variable annuity. So they're expecting to roll out Um, at least the first draft of legislation by this summer. So there's a good chance that the fiduciary standard will come back in a different form through the SEC. If that happens, then, like I said, brokers, financial advisors, anybody who holds a securities license of any kind will be under this jurisdiction the way it looks right now. And so we'd solve the problem possibly in a better forum, possibly in a better format. But for right now, you still have the right to require that your personal financial advisor act as a fiduciary. Ask them to do it. Ask them to put put it in writing. And if they don't, then you need to decide what your decision is at that point. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. I'm Peggy Doviak, and we're now into the Plan Your Prosperity section. Today, I want to talk about planning for your long-term care. I believe there is a great crisis that is looming in this country just under the surface, when you start to talk to friends and family, inevitably someone in that conversation is dealing with it. And that crisis is how are we going to pay for mom's or dad's care? Or if it's a younger generation, grandma and grandpa's care. Or as people are aging themselves, how am I going to pay for my care? We are living much longer than we have in the past. That longevity is a wonderful thing, but it causes people to often be in retirement for as many years as they're contributing to their retirement. 
so that if you start saving for your retirement at 30 and you retire at 65, you've saved money for 35 years and you've done great. And then you retire at 65 and you live to be 100 and that's another 35 years. On top of just the general fear of running out of money, the last three or four years of a person's life have gotten tremendously expensive. And when I say expensive, I'm not talking about ten dollars or $20,000. I'm talking about $250,000. And I get that number by looking at the cost of both resident facilities like retirement centers as well as in-home care. It's not uncommon for a service to charge six dollars to $8,000 a month. And this is Oklahoma. We're a little bit cheaper than average. Well, at $8,000 a month, that's $96,000 a year. And because I don't want to do complicated math on the radio, I'm going to round that up to 100. And then if you've lived two and a half years, that's $250,000. And if you're married, sometimes facilities will cut you some sort of a deal in price, but sometimes they don't. So that number can double. Well, this is an insane amount of money to try to save. So people are looking at different strategies. First, if you do have that kind of money, paying for your care through self-insurance is a great option. Long-term care insurance does provide a way to cover the costs. I know there's been some issues recently. I know that some of the major carriers have come out and said, wow, this is way more than we thought it would be. And the premiums cost people, look at the premium, they're saying, I don't want to pay four or $5,000 a year for a premium. But the cost of the care is $8,000 a month. And I'm not hard selling the insurance, but I am saying you've got to have a plan. Sometimes family members can help take care of seniors. Sometimes they can't, especially if that senior develops dementia. It's really the dementia that's causing people to have the inability to live in another family member's home, or it causes one spouse not to be able to take care of the other spouse. They're saying that most people who are middle-aged right now will die with some kind of form of dementia. So we need to fund the medical community so that that doesn't happen, but we also need to figure out how are we going to handle the elephant in the room. Medicare only covers skilled nursing facilities for short periods of time following incidents, like a hospital stay. So you can't count on Medicare paying for an extended two to three year stay in a nursing home or a retirement center. Medicaid is only for the indigent. It has a five-year look-back period, so if you've given away assets within the last five years, they'll claw those back and use them. Now, there are some new Medicaid programs that are worth looking into where you're able to make some deals and retain a little bit more. You really ought to talk to your certified financial planner practitioner about whether or not that would work for you. But Medicaid generally involves going into a facility. And most people want to stay home. So you need to create a plan. 
My goal here is, is not to press any one solution, but it is to tell you that this is a really big monster and it's hurting the people right now who need to be saving for their retirement because many of them are giving assets to their parents to help them out. Because once the parents are out of money, they're not wanting to go into the Medicaid facility. And so then the kids are helping. Well, this is creating a bigger retirement savings crisis for the generation coming up. There's some new ideas on the horizon, some communal living where people, rather than going into retirement centers when they're functional, they're going into very small home communities and taking care of each other. I think that this is an area where if you've got a great idea, you can make a fortune because we need solutions that people can afford because we're all looking at it. And the problem is it's the elephant in the room that we don't want to talk about. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy section. My name is Peggy Doviak, and in this section of the show, I'm going to answer some financial questions that people have contacted me with. Remember that all of my answers are educational. They're not investment advice. Even the person that I'm answering the question for needs to talk to their financial professional because I can't get enough details. There could be a reason that you would want to look at something other than what I recommend, but sometimes I can at least point you in a direction that would give you something to think about. So Cynthia asked me, Peggy, we created a cash flow plan for retirement, but we spent a little more than we anticipated the first couple of years. How can we be sure that we're still on track? And Cynthia, I promise you this is not the first time I've heard this. People think they know what they're going to spend in retirement, and then they retire, and it's so much fun that they have a great time the first couple of years, and sometimes they spend a little too much money. So the good news is you're aware that it's happening. The bigger crisis would be if you were spending and you weren't talking to your financial planner and you didn't know it, and then suddenly you're 15 years into overspending and there's not enough money and you have to figure out what to do then. By catching it early, it's fairly easy to adjust. So the first thing that you'd want to do is a cash flow analysis like the one you completed when you tried to figure out how much money you needed to save for retirement. And it would be done much the same way, where you'd take the value of all of the accounts that remain, the money that you haven't spent, you'd look at all of your monthly income that comes in, you'd look at the difference. So, you know, maybe you spend $5,000 a month and you have $4,000 a month of income coming in. That means you're spending $1,000 a month out of your savings. And you can do a discounted cash flow on a financial calculator to see how much you would need to have to lump sum fund that need, and then you compare it to your account balance. It's not nearly as complicated to do as that just sounded, but it is really important to have a financial calculator or to use a financial calculator that you find online. 
and make sure that you understand all of the inputs. Make sure that the rate of return in the calculator that you're using matches the rate of return the way your portfolio is invested. Make sure that inflation has been included so you don't get some weird surprise where you think that um, you're all right, but it ends up that the calculator was assuming an 11% return and you were a little bit more conservative and a little more sensible and you were making seven or eight, but then suddenly the numbers didn't work. So you really have to look at those online calculators to make sure that you can read under the hood. Or find a financial planner who has a real HP 10B2 financial calculator or another brand, and those numbers can be put in. So if you're a little short, then maybe what you can do is curtail your spending. You know, you can run this analysis and say, well, okay, if I spent a couple thousand dollars a month less for a couple of years, would I get back on track? And so you can try to do it that way. If it still isn't working, then you might want to consider while you're still young and you can do it, maybe a part-time job and something you always thought sounded like fun but would make a little bit of money. The important thing is to be aware of how you are and where you are because you don't want to make this discovery when you're in your 80s and there isn't anything you can do about it because you really can't go back to work then and you don't have enough money and then you've got a real financial crisis. So catch it early, make small course corrections, rerun that analysis every two to three years just to make sure you're still where you think you need to be And it should be able to work itself out. And if it isn't all right, then you and your financial planner can work out a solution. The second question comes from Anne. And Anne wrote and said, My friends tell me that their financial advisor works for free while mine sends me an invoice. I know that they're wrong, but I don't know how to explain it. And I've seen this happen too, Anne. And what happens is the person who thinks that their financial advisor is working for free is not aware of the commission that the advisor got paid for selling the product, or they're not aware of month or annual fees that are inside the funds. Some of that money can go to pay the advisor. Now, in a perfect world, everyone would send their clients an invoice so they'd understand what they were being paid, whether it was a commission or a fee. Unfortunately, only fee-only advisors, I think, are required by law to send the invoice. Certainly, it's best practice. So that, that fee is there. It's generally a percentage of assets under management, or it might be a flat fee. You know, that's something you've already worked out with your advisor. You know what you're paying them to do. The problem with the commission is it buries into the product. It's very hard to see. They're still being paid. No one works for free. But some things are a little bit more transparent. When things are transparent, they're easy to understand. But when things are transparent, they're also really obvious. So no, your friend's financial advisors are not working for free. If they're getting not paid from your from your friends, they're getting paid by the company who creates the products. There's a lot of working around to make sure that the fees aren't super obvious in financial services. So you really have to do your homework. You really have to be careful that you understand what you're paying, how you're paying for it. Look at the mutual funds. Figure out what the commission structure is on them. You can find that in a lot of sites 
I like Morningstar. That's not an endorsement, but they have a great free site where you can go in and look to see how much commission is on the fund and whether the advisor gets it at the beginning or the middle or the end. That's Morningstar, M-O-R-N-I-N-G-S-T-A-R.com. It's a good free resource. There's lots of free resources, but you really need to dig around to figure out what you're actually paying. Like I said, because no one is working for anyone for free. That's the end of the show. Remember to be very careful what you click on on any social media sites, and those little quizzes aren't necessarily your friends. Remember that if you were looking to borrow money, interest rates are going up, not down. So if you're considering buy a house or a car or anything that has a long-term payment schedule, you might want to go ahead and make that decision sooner, not later, because I think interest rates are going to do nothing but continue to go up. Remember to ask your financial professional if he or she is willing to be a fiduciary and if they're willing to put it in writing, whether the Department of Labor makes them do it or not. You've got to have a plan to take care of your long-term care expenses. So start thinking about that. It will take a while to come up with a solution to that problem, but if you start now before you really have the crisis, it's going to be a lot easier. Nobody works for free, and keep an eye on your cash flow. If you have a question, go to my Ask Peggy Facebook page. Also, you can check out my newly redesigned website, which is PeggyDoviak.com. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.